Thank you, Rachel, for reminding us of the difference Christ can make. You may be seated. We're blessed also to have Dustin back with us today as he's been leading us to worship the Lord. But I'm, I'm glad you're here today, that you've chosen to be a part of worship on this very first Sunday in March, March the 1st. If you have a Bible, I want you to look with me to the third chapter of the book of Colossians. Now, if you've been attending regularly, you're not surprised by going to Colossians, but go to chapter 3, because I want us to look at a statement that Paul makes. And as you're finding it, I want to remind us all that as a people of faith, we come to the Bible as a source of authority. We believe that God has spoken truth in ways that can help us find our way through life, that there's wisdom within the pages of Scripture. And so, week in and week out, I don't want to bring to you my ideas. I want us to consider what God has revealed through various individuals through the years, through the testimony of his word. And today, I want us to begin by looking at verse 17 in Colossians chapter 3. Listen to what the Apostle Paul, one of Jesus' early followers, says, and let's consider how it might help us. He says, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, we read this verse in Colossians because as a congregation, we've been slowly making our way through this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a group of believers just like us. We started back in January, and as we move into March, we're kind of on the home stretch. We're, we're beginning to bring together many of the ideas and the thoughts that Paul, the apostle, presents in this helpful letter. So much so, in chapter 2, what Paul taught us, and I hope that we're learning, is that Jesus has changed our lives. That because of Jesus, that change is possible. Now, again, that happens when you trust in him. It doesn't happen outside of your response, but here's what the Bible teaches. When you believe in Jesus, respond to him in faith, that your life has changed. Something about you, spiritually speaking, changes immediately. In fact, in chapter 2 and verse 10, it says, because of your faith in Jesus, you have been filled in him that you've been immersed into the spiritual life that Jesus now wants to manifest through who you are day by day. And not just filled in verse 13, he says you've been made alive. Now, you were dead because of your sins and failures and trespasses, but God, through Jesus, makes you alive so that something positive is happening. A change is introduced. Now, it's one thing for me to recognize, oh, yeah, that's what Jesus did. It's something else, though, for me to live that out. And so last week, as we moved into chapter 3, my encouragement was that we learn to live out the change. What Jesus has introduced as a believer, I need to begin to learn to live that out. 
And last week I tried to introduce to us how that works. And now, do we have any baseball fans? Just curious. I, I'm, I'm one. I love uh, the baseball season, love to watch the game. Spring training is going on. And if you're familiar with baseball, sometimes the, the batter will come up to the plate and he'll swing and he'll hit the ball, but it, it will foul off to the right or foul off to the left. In a way, as I tried to explain how we can live out the change last week, I felt like I kind of fouled the ball off. I don't think I put it in play to such a degree that it was as helpful to you as I had hoped it might be. And so today, I'm trying to, to take another swing in a way that will put the ball in play so that our lives can absolutely live out the change that Jesus makes possible. Now, what is that? Remember, from last week, as Paul enters chapter 3, he says, you need to be seeking the things that are above, right? That there's a change in mindset, uh, the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. He restates it in verse 2. You need to set your mind, you need to direct your heart's attention, your thoughts to things above, not on things of the earth. Why? Because he explains you've died in Christ and your life is hidden in Christ. So see, the change has been introduced, but you need to live this out. You need to learn, and that's the operative word. You need to learn how to live out this life that Jesus has made possible. We do that day by day. We do that, if I can maybe state it this way this morning, we do that by choosing to relate to Jesus for who he is. If I'm going to live this out, it's only possible as I actively relate to Jesus for who he is. I learn to walk in him. I learn to trust in him. I learn to live out my life in him. And so that's what we introduced last week. And what does that look like? Well, I, I provided a graphic that I, I hope gave us a visual picture so that as I'm relating to Jesus for who he is, I begin to walk a path in a way that reflects him. And what does that look like? Well, as Paul describes it in verses 12 and following, it reflects a compassionate heart, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, forbearance. Literally, Paul said, you're bearing with one another. It reflects forgiveness. And most of all, he says it reflects love, that love has a way of just tying everything together. Now, what this graphic provides is a visual picture of what it means when we're relating to Jesus for who he is. These are the qualities that Jesus wants to reproduce in you. He wants these to be seen in you. He wants these to be reflected in, in your life at school, your life at home, your life at work. That this is the path, as we relate to Jesus, that we are walking. Now, not to put you on the spot, but was this reflected of you last week? At work? In some difficult circumstances? Was this seen in you? Now, the emphasis in all of this is, is Jesus, because see, if you look at these qualities, it reflects him, doesn't it? If you read the Gospels, this is how Jesus lived. But what Paul's trying to teach us is as we relate to him for who he is, this is then reflected in us. We, we begin to display him. Now, let me state, 
it reflects him, but it also relies on him. We need his help here. We seek his help here. We want these qualities to be demonstrated in our daily lives. Now, looking at it this way, it doesn't look that hard. But we know it is hard, isn't it? Because Paul reminds us that there are desires and passions that try to pull us outside the the lines. Uh, In fact, beginning in verse 5, he gives us some examples of that. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness. That's a, a Bible word. Basically means an insatiable desire for more. You're never satisfied. Idolatry, meaning you're worshiping something other than God. See, here we are wanting to walk with Jesus, in Jesus, to reflect his qualities, and we have these kinds of desires trying to pull us off the path. And even further, there are um, emotions and desires that try to sway us. He says uh, you need to be mindful of anger and wrath, malice, slander, obscenities, deceit, that if we move in that direction, we're moving away from relating to Jesus for who he is. Now, Paul was trying to be helpful. He says what you do in verse 5, you put these things to death. That's how he characterizes it. If I could imagine it this way, I, I need to consider these desires as dead. In chapter 2, Paul explains that Jesus died in a way that he has set us free from sin's domination. He put us through what he refers to as a spiritual circumcision, which is just his way of saying we've actually been set free in a way where we are not trapped by these desires. Now, before Jesus, we were inclined to always move in that direction. But now, because of Jesus, guess what? You can actually choose not to move in that direction. It involves you, though, saying no, that you don't want to go there. Death is there. You don't lose your salvation when you go there, but you're not experiencing what Jesus desires, which brings me back to Jesus. We want to focus on Jesus and, and realize that it's in him that we're able to walk a path that brings about life. Because, see, when you display love and forgiveness and forbearance and patience and kindness, when that becomes characteristic of your life, you know what you've discovered? The fullness of life. That life is there. Now, last Sunday, my encouragement is let's relate to Jesus so that this is seen, that we're moving down the path in a way that reflects him. And that's where I I don't think I was as as helpful to you as I wanted to be. And so I want to come back and I want to use an illustration that Paul introduces in the language of the text. I've brought some shirts up onto the platform with me to to help us think about uh, just how this can work in each of our lives. We, We want to relate to Jesus properly. We want to walk the path that reflects him. But how does that work? Well, if you look at chapter 3 in verses 5 and later in verse 9, he's talking about us putting off some things and putting on some things. And the language he adopts is the language of dressing. 
that you actually need to, in a spiritual sense, take some things off. In a spiritual sense, you need to put some things on. That that is going to be the means through which Jesus accomplishes in your life the very thing that you desire for Jesus to accomplish. Now, having introduced it to you this way, you need to know it absolutely will then involve your mind. This isn't just going to happen accidentally. I mean, the young people who made commitments this weekend, listen, your commitments are important, but you need to know moving forward, if anything's going to come forward out of this, it's still going to require you to engage your mind in terms of what has happened. That's true of all of us. If we want to live the life Jesus desires us to do, we have to allow our mind to be engaged so that what we think begins to move us in the direction that we ultimately will move. Now, that's how Paul characterizes it in verses 9 and 10 of chapter 3. Look at it. It will be on the screen. It will give us a sense of how this can, can work. Let me read verse 9. He gives us an example of something to take off. Do not lie to one another. Seeing, notice, that you have put off the old self. The verb there is you've stripped it off. It's not something that you're now wearing. In its place, you have put on the new self. Now, I've removed what shouldn't be there, and I've put on what Jesus now makes possible the new life, the, the new self, which, Paul adds, is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Now, the creator is Jesus. And so what Paul is saying, you're taking the old off, you're putting the new on as your mind is being renewed. Your thinking is changing. You're beginning to look at the path you're walking differently. You actually want to reflect Jesus in the choices that you make, in the actions that you take. You want to put on those qualities that reflect him. Now here is where we need to understand. This does not happen without you thinking about it. I mean, we come on Sunday, we say a prayer, Jesus, I want to re reflect you in the week ahead. And then we leave and we never give it any more thought. And we wonder why we veer off the path. Well, it involves the mind. You're going to have to be thinking in terms of, okay, this is the path I want to walk. This is the garment I want to wear. I want to reflect him. Last Sunday I said, as your mind goes, you go. If your thoughts are moving in the wrong direction, guess which direction you're going? You'll move off the path. Even though you believe in Jesus, you will find yourself reacting in anger. See, our mind helps us to visualize the direction that we're going. I would add to that, it also requires effort. Probably not what you want to hear. We want God to change us without us having to do anything. And then we wonder why we don't live out the change. It requires you 
acting in ways where you begin to see the change. You have, I think this is why he uses the language of, of clothing. You have to put it on. You have to take some things off. It does require effort. Now, can I go on record and thank you for taking the effort to dress yourself today? Uh, I'm glad that you were willing to do that for our benefit. And I'm hoping that you'll put forth the effort tomorrow to dress yourself again. And on Tuesday, uh, God forbid there will ever be a day this week where you refuse to put forth the effort to put on the appropriate clothing. That's why Paul, I think, uses this language. Spiritually speaking, we every single day of our lives have to choose what we're going to wear. We have to put forth the effort to put the right garment on. I, I say it as strongly as I am. Listen to what the Apostle Paul writes to a group of believers in the city of Corinth talking about effort. He's describing the Christian life. I'm reading from 1 Corinthians 9 verse 24. He writes, do you not know that in a race all the runners run? but only one receives the prize. Now, don't be misled by his imagery. He's gonna use an athletic language here, and the prize isn't salvation. It's not that you're running in order to save yourself. The prize is reward. We only find salvation because of our faith in Jesus, and he gives that to us as a gift. But having received the gift of life, then day by day I make choices that potentially result in a reward, a prize, or a loss. I'm still very much a child of God, very much saved by the grace of God, but my choices matter. And here Paul is saying, we're, we're all running the race and we want to obtain the prize. And then he emphasizes the seriousness of it. Every athlete, verse 25, exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we, speaking of our future reward, an imperishable so I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. And what's Paul's point? He's trying to say as we walk in Jesus Christ, it involves effort. It requires it that you won't step into the day reflecting Jesus without some decision on your part to do so. I mean, think about it when you consider the choices we have. You can move into the day and you can put on anger. You can. <laughs> or you can put it off and in its place put on patience. You can clothe yourself. That takes effort on your part. I mean, you could put on malice. I can, I can scheme against people, work against people, or I can put on kindness. I can reflect a, a goodness. Or I can put on wrath. Boy, I can be as bitter as the next person. Or I can put on forgiveness, love. It, in, it requires effort, doesn't it? I choose what I'm going to wear. 
Now, let me be clear. You're not choosing that without God's help. You're asking God to enable you to reflect love and kindness and forgiveness. But he's not going to make you do that. You do decide to put something on, which requires effort. Paul says it's, it's the same effort you see in trained athletes. They discipline themselves to wear the right garments. Well, did you put forth the effort this last week? I prayed last Sunday. I wanted Jesus to make a difference in me. Well, did you choose to reflect that? Did you put on what you used to wear or did you put on what Jesus says you can now wear? It requires effort. And I don't want to be misleading. It will include struggling. I think sometimes in the church we've created confusion where we talk about relating to Jesus, following Jesus. We give the false impression that you can follow him without any struggle at all. That's not been my experience. Because you see, when I look at the things that appeal to my heart outside the lines, those are real desires. My choice to relate to Jesus, to follow Jesus in the way that brings me forward indicates that I place a greater value on him. But there is a struggle. The Apostle Paul, if you've not read it in recent days, in Another one of his letters to the church at Rome in chapter 7 and 8, he makes a fascinating contrast. At the end of chapter 7, he describes himself. Now, he doesn't identify himself by name, but I'm pretty sure he's describing his early Christian experience. And he describes how, he, he says, you know, I knew what to do, but I did the very thing I shouldn't do. And the things that I want to do, I, I just didn't have the way, ability to do. Sounds like a man struggling. But then... He points us to the solution, which he recognizes ultimately Jesus. Thanks be to God in Christ Jesus. And from chapter 7 into chapter 8, he realizes that through the spirit of Christ at work in him, he could make the right choices. He could move in the right direction. But it involved a a struggle. And what I want you to appreciate in your life, some of you are still wearing the wrong garments and it's in part because you've, you've assumed that it just should magically disappear and it doesn't. You have to learn to live some things out. I mean, think about a young toddler uh, that's starting to, or a young child that's starting to, to, to learn how to dress himself or herself. They don't come by that naturally. I mean, you have to tell them which hole their head goes through, right? They don't understand that. They have to learn how to clothe themselves. I'm trying to help us to understand as Christ followers that there are occasions as we're trying to walk the right path, we have to learn how to put the garment on. And sometimes there will be some successes and failures, but it's a process that we struggle through. We press through. I mean, Jesus laid it out. He said, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. To deny myself, take up my cross daily at times is a struggle. 
but it's worth following him to do so. To clothe myself in a way that reflects him. Does that make sense? Well, let's go back to to the earlier graphic and see if we can see how this works. Again, I want to relate to Jesus in such a way that reflects him, which means I'm going to be saying no to some things. I am going to be saying no to some desires that may manifest themselves. But what I want to appreciate, when I say yes to Jesus, I'm actually saying yes to follow him. It's not so much that I'm just living a life of no, I'm living a life of the greater yes. I want to experience the life of Jesus. I I want to grow in Jesus. And so I say no to anger and yes to kindness because I want to relate to Jesus for who he is. I, I want to experience his help. Now it's at this point, and I'm almost done, Paul then tries to get very practical. He wants to move us along this path. And so he offers some some clear direction to help us experience more of Jesus. He first says this, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Now realize he's talking to people who recognize they've got to put on the right garments. They want to walk the right path. How do we do this? Well, Paul commands them to let the peace of Christ rule in their hearts. What's the peace of Christ? In John's gospel, Jesus was talking to his disciples. Listen to what he says in verse 27, John 14. Jesus says, peace I live with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. See, that's the opposite of peace. Neither let, it, let them be afraid. Again, the opposite of peace. What Jesus is promising to those who would trust in him is that he would manifest in their life a peace within. A sense of well-being within. Where we know that God is with us. And it's really that that Paul the Apostle is pointing us toward. He says, you need to let the peace of Christ, the peace that God manifests in you, rule your hearts. That day by day, in a way, God wants to lead me forward as I come to recognize his peace within Now, the verb rule, it could be translated arbitrate or staying with an athletic terminology to umpire. But really, the, the main idea, as Paul's trying to explain it, is the peace of Christ intends to lead your hearts. That's very helpful to me. See, as I relate to Jesus day by day, In a way, he wants to lead me according to his peace within. As soon as I am tempted to move outside the line, say I'm tempted to go and be angry, you can mark this down, the peace of Jesus will disappear. It won't be there. If I'm tempted to move into some area of sexual immorality, mark it down, the peace of Christ won't be there. 
And so, in a beautiful way, Paul is saying, we want to live daily allowing the presence of Christ in us, his peace, to guide us so that we're drawn to move forward with him because we know to move outside the lines is to jettison his peace. We want his peace to rule within us. One further comment, if I may. When I speak of peace, I'm not talking about indifference. This is a potential problem for some Christians. If you move outside the line and you stay outside the line long enough, guess what happens? You become so unaccustomed to his peace that you become indifferent. And it's not the same thing. You become calloused. See, the peace of Christ is given by his presence to help guide us day by day so that we're experiencing more of the life of Jesus. But when we move outside of that, then the peace that is intended to be a blessing is lost. Now, it's not only sin that disrupts the peace. Uh, I've just completed a series of lessons in Philippians where sometimes the worries of life can disrupt disrupt the peace. And Paul in Philippians 4 verse 6 says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard and keep your hearts in Christ Jesus. See, it's not just sin that disrupts the peace. Sometimes we allow our minds to get distracted. We become fearful because we're focusing on circumstances rather than focusing on the one who's with us. I mean, I can walk any path in peace if I know that Jesus is there, right? I mean, we can even face the threat of the coronavirus with peace if we know we're not walking a path alone. It involves peace. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. He adds, though, a second command, and like the first, he's trying to push us in the right direction. He then says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Now, by word of Christ, he's pointing us to the testimony that God has given us in the Bible, his word. He's pointing us to how God has offered reassurance to us and has provided wisdom so that we know the path that we should be walking. And Paul's command is you need to allow the word of Christ to be living in you, dwelling in you. It should have taken residence with you. Back in January, we started reading through the book of Colossians. And if you're with us, we read it and read it and read it and read it. Why do I want you to do that? Because there's something to be gained when we allow a passage of Scripture or a book of the Bible to live with us. Some things we only see as we allow it to dwell with us. Now, through the month of February, I said, well, let's do the same thing for the book of Ephesians. And we've read it and read it and read it. And some of you think, I'm tired of reading it. What Paul is saying, if we're going to walk the path, if we're going to relate to Jesus for who he is, we have to let the word of Christ live with us. We need to stay with it so that it stays with us. 
Now, sometimes we think it's always better to read something new. I wonder if we're not tempted to read something new because we don't want to have to think about what he emphasized on our heart the day before. Paul says, let the word of Christ live in you. Now, today is March the 1st. Maybe a few of you are wondering, what are we going to read now? This is what I suggest. I want you to read in a consistent way something God puts on your heart from his word. I'm not going to even give you the letter or the book. What I would suggest is maybe this afternoon or early tomorrow morning, open your Bible, look at the table of contents to the New Testament. Now, I think it's important now that we focus on the New Testament because we're wanting to walk in Jesus. But look at the different letters that there are or gospels that there are. And why don't you just ask God himself, where should I read? For the month of March. And then just start reading a chapter a day. Just live with it. It's a, if it's a short book, read it over and over and over again. If it's a longer book, then you may only read it once or twice. But because of Jesus, you're going to let the word of Christ, his word, find its place into your life. You see that? The value of that? Now, there is, I think, the benefit of wisdom that comes from that. Go back, if you would, to verse 16 of, and look at how it's expressed by Paul, and, and I think it may help us even further. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That word means in abundance. You're not just scrimping. You're not just reading just enough to slightly get by. No, you're letting it dwell within you abundantly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Now look at the phrase in all wisdom as this translation places it. Paul wrote the New Testament or his letters in the Greek language. And what's fascinating, if you look at this verse in in the Greek language, the phrase in all wisdom actually follows dwell in you richly. That's where it's placed as Paul writes it out. Now the King James Version, the New King James, actually reflects that in their translation. Look at how it's different with the King James. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. Now, why the, the variation? Well, interpreters, as they look at that phrase in all wisdom, they weren't sure where it was to be attached. Grammatically, it could go either way. It could be attached to the word of Christ dwelling in you, or it could be attached to the teaching and admonishing. What I would suggest is why not allow it to go both directions? That we want to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly in all wisdom. That we're asking the Lord himself to fill us with his wisdom and spiritual understanding so that we can see the path that we're supposed to walk. We're asking him to provide that so that as I interact with other people, I'm able to teach and admonish them in all wisdom. Allow it to go both ways. Now, what's beautiful, if you look at what Paul's done here, he's emphasized that this is a personal action on our part, but there's a social component, isn't there? I'm letting the word of Christ dwell in me, but I'm also interacting with the people beside me. I'm teaching and admonishing 
one another. Don't let that kind of get by you too quickly because when I'm walking the path, I need to know I'm not walking the path alone. Nor are you. You shouldn't be. See, there's a strength as we walk in the path so that we can recognize together how the peace of Christ and how the word of Christ is moving us in the right direction. It helps to have someone with you on the path. I mean, he kind of alluded to that in verse 15 where he says you have this peace in one body. He wants us to see how this is a shared experience and I think that's very important because sometimes if I'm on the path and I'm wearing the wrong garment, I want somebody who loves me to tell me I've put on the wrong shirt. Don't you want that? We're not walking the path alone. We're walking with Others And what we're seeking is for the peace of Christ within to move us forward with him and the word of Christ before us to provide the clarity and insight we need so that we're walking in Christ Jesus. And when we step off, we have someone who loves us say, hold on, is that what you wanted to wear? Don't you think you should be wearing this? Now let me stress, we're doing that with love. We're not doing that to condemn. We're doing this to encourage. But Paul says, if I'm going to walk the path, the peace of Christ needs to be activated. The word of Christ needs to be residing. Now this last week, was that true of you? See, verse 17 only makes sense if you understand verses 15 and 16. We started the the lesson with verse 17. Now listen to it. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. I would argue you can't do that unless the peace of Christ is ruling your heart. You won't do that unless the word of Christ is residing within you. But when those two spiritual dynamics are active, guess what? I can do everything in word or deed in a way that reflects him. See, in the name means reflecting who he is, reflecting even his power to do so. But that doesn't happen unless the peace of Christ and the word of Christ is there. See, sometimes we struggle unnecessarily because we're disregarding the peace and we're ignoring the word. If you want to see something different this week, then take his commands to heart. He notes as you do that, Thanksgiving flows naturally, doesn't it? At least it should. In this, he says... You can give thanks to God, the Father, through him, that it's something that happens in a beautiful way. Well, let me finish. Let me take you back to the graphic, and let's put this all together. Now, this is where we want to walk. How do we get there? Well, we relate to Jesus for who he is. It's always been about Jesus. Well, how do I relate to Jesus for who he is? I recognize his authority, 
and I allow his peace to rule my heart. I allow his word to take residence within my life. And then day by day, I choose to put on and to put off. And as I do that, what happens is I begin to experience more and more of Christ, and he brings me forward. It doesn't mean I'm not going to stumble. It doesn't mean I'm not going to make some mistakes. But I have a, a clear spiritual understanding that this is how he can affect me if I would only let him. So, in summary, you should know your life has changed because of Jesus. That's already happened. You need to learn to live it out. That's what we've been trying to talk about for these past few weeks. You need to bring it forward. You need to recognize it involves your, your participation. You learn to live it out. And you do that as you actively relate to Jesus Christ for who he is. Day by day, week by week. And as we do that, people will know it because of what you put on. Or people will know you're not because of what you're wearing. Let me pray for us. Father, I come asking that in these final moments, you could drive home the appropriate action lesson that would move us toward Christ in ways that change our lives. And Father, we can't undo this last week. We seek forgiveness where, where we faltered. We acknowledge that we put some things on that we had no business wearing. I pray that you would now, today, help us to refocus in your love and mercy, renew us, forgive us, restore us so that we can walk in Jesus in a positive way, that we can put on the right garments into the week ahead so that we can experience life. Father, if somebody is truly struggling, let today be the, the moment of victory. I pray you move them toward your son in ways that affects their heart. Let them make a firm determination to step toward Jesus Christ and to mean it, to relate to Jesus Christ in a way that will be seen into the week ahead. Move us in that direction, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.